Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDAS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. there. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new Redefining Cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine, where I hopefully help individuals and teams and organizations understand the value of cybersecurity to the business and and then take the next step to uh, operationalize some of the technology and processes uh, with the teams they have or work with uh, to not just protect the revenue, but also hopefully even create more revenue with uh, with a strong cybersecurity posture. And I would say the majority of my chats are geared toward folks with some level of maturity. So they probably have a program in place and a team in place. But uh, every now and then, you need to remember that a lot of organizations aren't of the size and uh, with revenue and staffed accordingly to have full teams and, and uh, mature processes. And the small, medium business sector is certainly uh, one that fits that bill. And it's important for them, uh, clearly, as they support a large ecosystem and a large supply chain around the world, it's important for them to have a good security posture, at least an understanding of the risks they face. And I'm thrilled to have on the show today, Scott Schober. Uh, he's an author of many books and uh, has his hands in all kinds of technologies. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on, Scott. Yeah, great to be here with you, Sean. Thank you for having me. And... Um, so small, medium business, uh, we were kind of touching on before we, before we kicked off the show, hmm. I, I kind of view them as a, a person, single person, <laughs> maybe with multiple personalities, but they're not much different than a, than a general user. And, and I think approaching cybersecurity from that uh, perspective might help. So, but before we get there, uh, you are a single individual. I don't know mm-hmm. about your personalities. Uh, <laughs> I certainly have multiple personalities, but um, this is true. You, you you have a story that's brought you to this point, and uh, and you've you have a couple books at least under your belt uh, that capture some of that story. Um, who's Scott Schober, and uh, what where did you where did you start? Sure. Well, I, I work at uh, the company I'm running is Berkeley Veritronic Systems. We're actually celebrating 50 years old. It's our anniversary this year, so we're kind of excited about that. I didn't find the company because I, I just—I'm a little over 50, so I'd be in my diapers if that was the case when it started. It was actually founded by my father, so we're actually kind of unique. We're a, a family-run, privately held company, and we focus on 
uh, wireless test tools. And it's kind of where wireless crosses cybersecurity. So we deal with a lot of cyber threats, but mostly tied in with the, the wireless front. So it's kind of exciting and, and kind of uh, cutting edge stuff that we're always doing. And we're developing tools and techniques and doing R&D and working with law enforcement and DOD agencies to help them do a better job to fight cyber criminals. Um, a number of years ago, as I was out speaking and educating people, mostly about our products and tools and teaching and stuff, I started to get a target on my back. And what ended up happening is some cyber criminals wanted to, I guess, shut me up. And they started going after me and sending a message. And it started out kind of innocent. My debit card was compromised, my credit card personal, but also at the same time, the business, which is really crazy. Uh, then I had uh, attacked, uh, my Twitter account got attacked. We had repeated attacks to our website for online commerce, where we sell a lot of our, our wireless security tools. We were getting DDoS attacks constantly. So we had no commerce all of a sudden, like overnight and problems just kept getting worse and worse to the point where we had our checking account, uh, compromised and they stole $65,000 big mess became a federal investigation finally got all the money back. But in the process of all that, I learned a ton of things. Here we are, a, a wireless security company educating other people and designing and building tools and supporting the industry. Yet I asked myself, how in the world could we be compromised? Well, I learned quickly that anybody can be compromised regardless of what you have in place, which is kind of scary. And uh, it was a little bit of an eye opener. So in the process of going through all of these things to get ourselves back into place, I learned a lot of things and I learned that a lot of the simple best practice things that I was assuming were in, you know, being used here throughout our organization were not. Um, so we had to go through everything and, and update a lot of the ways and methods that we were handling information and everything from simple things from proper way to uh, shred documents that had uh, information on it, sensitive information or personal information for our customers, for our employees, um, proprietary information, so on and so forth. That was really a key step. Uh, proper backups we had to implement, uh, encryption, uh, the way we handled data, the way we uh, communicated with customers. Uh, across the board, we had to do a lot of adjustments and, and learned that if we can do it as a small business, others can do it too. Well, I, I started sharing some of these little tips and things that I learned as I was speaking. And the next thing I know, everybody's saying, you should write a book on this. It's an interesting story and da, da, da. And I said, well, I'll Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not a writer. And, you know, I focus more on science and tech. I'm not I'm not really somebody that's gifted with words. And I, I kept getting pushed and finally said, all right, you know what? The story's out there. It's a little embarrassing. Let me just write a book on it. So I wrote my first book. It took took about two years from start to finish to write Hacked Again, uh, many revisions. And I got some help from my brother, who's my partner in the business. And he he is good with words. And he's co-author for the second and third book, which so is nice and fitting. But um, that's really what got me started there. The story and sharing hacked again, that took everything to the next level from our business. But, but especially with speaking and media appearances, I find myself constantly talking about cybersecurity each and every day and sharing tips and know-how and um, developing tools to fight cyber criminals. So it's kind of exciting how that kind of jump started. We already were in the space, but it took it to a whole new level. And that was what's really cool. So I always encourage people, hey, if you're thinking about, especially if you're a small business owner, if you have a story to tell and you're thinking about writing a book, go for it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Well, it's a super cool uh, that you share this story uh, in written form, but also verbally here. And you said that you were embarrassed as you were starting to write it. And, 
and I have to say, it didn't didn't come across as uh, being embarrassed as you're describing the story here. And I'm just wondering, because I think I personally feel that that's a, that's part of the problem, right? That there's a stigma yeah. associated with the compromise, and perhaps and we've seen even more recently that people's heads were rolled, <laughs> and prison is involved if, uh, if things aren't handled quite yes. Yes. correctly, whatever correctly means. And uh, so I think there's there's a stigma that prevents people from telling the story. But it's the stories that I think also, when they are told, can help people understand a little bit better and the realities of the nuts and bolts of how this stuff actually works. Oh yeah. I, you make a brilliant point because I, I always think of it this way. I learn a lot more by reading and hearing other people's mistakes or misfortunes. So I don't go down that path and do the same thing. Uh, if, if somebody tells you, Hey, create a long, strong password, you roll your eyes, you say, okay, yeah, I know it's important. But now if they tell you why, and they explain what happened when they didn't, now you're motivated. Now you're kind of your eyes are opened a little bit and you say, I'm going to create the strongest password ever and I'm going to learn how to manage it and use a good password manager. And you take it to the next level to make sure that you protect that valuable information, be it your company, your, your intellectual property, your customer records, whatever the case may be. Um, and I think it gets you kind of excited about it. And that's what's really important, I think, with cybersecurity as you get into it. I think people too quickly dismiss it and say, well, it's too technical. And I've learned it's really not too technical. You can make it technical and you could dive in deep technical, but you don't have to. On, on, on the higher level, you can do some basic best practices within your small business that really will keep you much more secure. And, and I always refer to it as a layered approach. Uh, and, and I relate it this way often. And I think I talk about it in, in the books. If we look at our house or apartment, what do we have? We, we've got a a door with a little lock on it, but we probably have a deadbolt. We most likely have a camera. Maybe we have an alarm or a ring doorbell or whatever the case may be. So those are layers of security. So when the would-be thief comes to your door, they see all these things, they move on to the next next thing, next house, go down the block, get out of the area because they don't think they'll get in. Same thing with cybersecurity. It's not just about creating a strong password. A lot of people think that and, and they stop there. But if you add another layer, think about multi-factor authentication how important that is. That doesn't solve all the problems. It's not 100%, but it's so much more secure than just having traditional logging credentials when we think about it. And if you look at a lot of the breaches, and I've analyzed a lot of them and wrote about a lot of them in the books, just about all of them, there was some level of third-party remote access. I think back to the days of Target and things like that. And in all those instances, as you dig through the weeds, you start to find out that it was a simple login. They were able to compromise username and password. There was no multi-factor authentication. And hence, they were able to get into the system. Once you can get into the network remotely, you can work laterally, place malware, collect data, so on and so forth. And that's what typically happens. So I think just fundamentally understanding and small business owners do more than just your basic strong password and your username. Have multi-factor authentication in place. It's, it's trading uh, a convenience for security and balancing that out, I think is very important. Realizing it'll take you a little longer. It's a little inconvenient, but it's a hundred times more secure. And that's the point. We need to be able to balance out our choices when we're trying to log on to things, different things on the web or remote access or whatever the case may be. And I always opt for security over the convenience. That's important. And the, so I think we've used the term uh, best practice now a couple of times. Um, 
what I what I envision for most of those are common practices. Maybe I don't know if they're maybe best on, in every case. And I guess where or are there are they baseline <laughs> practices? And, and I don't want to get hung up on what we call them, but it, but from from my perspective, thinking uh, standing in the shoes of a small medium business is I'm in business to run my business, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do the bare minimum investment to provide the highest level of security posture possible. Um, how do I get there? Is it that password? Why do I need to make the investment into uh, MFA? Do I need to make the investment in, in uh, privacy access management? Do I need to make the investment in encryption and, and, uh, and distributed data backups for uh, full fledged disaster recovery? Where, where does the list start and stop? And you, you kind of mix in the compliance end of things as well, which drives yeah. some of that. Yeah, and, that's and I true. picture. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say really good points, and I think a lot of it. What I always try to do is first, if I go into a small business, I like to ask them a bunch of questions, and what I'll typically ask and assess: What are you trying to protect? Because if you don't know what you're trying to protect, it's really hard to know. Do you spend money to protect it? Is it just basic? practices that you need to in place that are not in place. You almost need to really do that. You give somebody a vulnerability assessment. Where are you most vulnerable? What are you trying to protect? How do you better protect it? And then when you go through a company, you'll find that the majority of employees still do not use long, strong passwords. It it blows my mind, right? You talk about password reuse. Everybody hears about it and everyone says, don't reuse the same password across multiple logins. Still, the latest statistic is 52% of business owners still do that. They're repeating the use of their passwords. So they're compromised. Why? Because that password is already in a giant database of millions of compromised passwords. We can go on the dark web, buy, and a hacker can take that and use it to hack into all kinds of accounts because you reuse the same password across multiple logins. So things like that are very important to kind of understand the basics on. And then then it sets the stage to make sure business owners are properly um, implementing passwords. So is it, is it, do you have a sense of where things break down? So I think we, if anybody has a sense that security is important, they probably know what some of these best practices, quote unquote, best practices are. Um, So I'll say that's the first step. The next is a policy. The next is enforcing the policy. The next is monitoring, responding. Where are things kind of falling off the rails? I think it's probably the enforcing of it. Cause I think most companies I talk to, they have a policy and yeah, you got to have a strong password. Yeah. You got to use a password manager. Yeah. Don't share passwords. And you read all these things and, and companies say, yeah, I'm in compliance, compliance. And then when you look within a company, you realize, well, this employee wasn't trained. They don't have the right awareness. They aren't in- implementing best practices. Oh, they bring their own device to work and they were using that to send email or they're working remotely and they don't have a secure Wi-Fi connection. So there's hundreds of reasons and exceptions to the rules. And I think that to, to your point, the enforcement of a lot of those rules is not taking place because there's not enough people within an organization to walk around and make sure and check that, that it's being done. Uh, what I do recommend for companies, and this is not a huge investment, is to actually hire an outside third party to do a vulnerability assessment. And if depending upon the business and what they're protecting, sometimes a penetration test is also warranted. And we're talking in the neighborhood of three to $6,000. So big investment for a small business, but not that big if you get compromised. I had it done here. And again, 
being a security company in cybersecurity, I thought we, we've got all our, our T's crossed and our, our I's dotted. Even after that, I looked and they brought some very obvious things that were like, oh, we didn't even notice that. How could we not notice that? So it's kind of a way to raise your awareness and make actionable changes within your organization, but you're not too close. You know, what's the expression? You can't see the trees from the forest or something. It's a little bit like that. You're dealing with the stuff every day. So you're assuming you're doing the right things, but you're not always doing the right things that are what would be classified as best practices as I'm talking about there or things that are going to keep your company's data actually safe. I don't know if you can, if you can share, but I, mean, I, know, I definitely want to get into the cybersecurity is everybody's business uh, topic in the book there as well. But um, sticking with this, I don't know if you can share some additional insights from the transition from pre to post breach. And what I'm mostly interested there is uh, as I talk to CISOs and practitioners uh, on the show, one of the things I'm always interested in is can security shape the way the business runs to reduce exposure, mm. to reduce the risk, not just mitigate the risk once the business is up and running, but actually shape the business to be more secure and less vulnerable from, from the get-go. So I'm wondering, did, did you change the way the business was run, operated, uh, the, the way the tech stack was developed and, and uh, deployed and managed? Right, can you share anything there? Yeah, I, th I think to some degree, I think you have to change it because if it's business as usual, it wouldn't make sense because you were, were making mistakes. And just because you learned from your mistakes, it's hard to implement a change. And I, w when I go into companies, I also try to help them. And, and I preach this often. And a lot of times people look at me, are you serious? I always say it's got to be taught from the janitor to the CEO and everybody in between. And that seems ridiculous. But why do I say that? Because everybody within a company has access to data has access to intellectual property. Uh, they're touching things, they're seeing things, they're learning things that are really proprietary and need to be protected. Obviously it changes greatly from business to business, but in a general statement, that's kind of true. So if the guy that's packing the boxes that sees things that, that is proprietary or confidential, you don't want him texting that or sending an email talking about something in a shipment, this or that, because that could be compromised. He may be using a Gmail. Often Gmails are red. Why is it free? Well, it's traded because they can be scarfed and things can be pulled out of there. So understanding those things or, or something as simple as a text. You know, I, I typically will like to use uh, texting applications where I know it's got end-to-end -end encryption, where I don't have to divulge my phone number to it. So using something like Signal, and there's a couple other really good programs for simple texting that's powerful, but it keeps your information safe. If you're just using a traditional texting application on iOS or anything else, it could be intercepted. It may not be properly encrypted at all stages of it. So little things like that within an organization, and we all live on our smartphones, if we think about it. And what do you think is most targeted? They're not necessarily going always for the network. They're often going for the initial conduit to get into the network through our smartphones, be it a wireless access through email, through a text, click on here, download a link, malware, so on and so forth. So if you follow the, the trail of how cyber criminals get in, that kind of helps you understand what needs to be secured properly. And so if you're issuing phones out to employees, you want to make sure what apps are on there. 
and, and what permissions and, and things that they've checked off. Yes, you have access to see whatever websites that I've surfed on. Uh, you'll have access to see what contact information is. Uh, you have access to my email or whatever else the case may be. Because most apps, if you really dig in and read them, you're signing your life away. And people do not realize that each and every day. The famous stat I, I, I share with people is if you were to take the average smartphone user and look at all the T's and C's, the terms and conditions that they've acknowledged and opted into, it, it would take you well over a month to read it if you were reading it 24-7. What does that tell you? There is not one person on the face of the earth, except maybe legal people, that actually read any of that stuff because you're giving your, the store away. And that's part of the problem. So I, I always start at the smartphone within an organization and ask them to analyze what do they have in place? What do they use it for? Are they issued? Is it employee owned and, and they just do some business on it? Understanding those dynamics will help a lot in trying to keep your organization secure. Yeah. And it, I think you're you're kind of pointing to everybody has a role to play here. Right? Yes, absolutely. Everybody's a vector. And you, you touched on the third party vector uh, earlier. And I want to maybe as we transition into everybody's uh, cybersecurity, everybody's responsibility, maybe I think it's not often that an individual is targeted and they happen to be an executive at a company that then the company is also then put at risk and compromised. Um, but even just take the target part of it away mm -hmm. um, and an individual of high net worth or of importance that a company could be identified as such and then pursued, right? Not necessarily starting as a target, but ending up being one or getting caught up in a net that, that, that shows that, hey, this, this person is of, of value because of the company they're connected to. Um, how do organizations understand the role of their employees as a vector, including the executives. Um, I don't know if, if obviously it was your personal phone they started with and social media, which probably wasn't, was maybe was, but not necessarily mm -hmm. didn't have to be on the, the company's network. Right. So that transition from personal devices and space to business space and compromise is very possible. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I was, I was thinking of something that kind of came close to home we had here. And, and again, I, I was, I've been targeted many times, even after my first book, second book, third book. It never stops. Um, I, maybe they want me to be a guinea pig or whatever the case may be. But I'm, I'm in good company because I talked to a lot of the other cybersecurity practitioners out there, like Kevin Mitnick's and Brian Krebs and others. And, and they, too, have been targeted and have had crazy things done to them to, to by the cyber criminals. Um, so I, I guess I should be maybe humbled by that. I don't know. But, but oftentimes when you look at individuals running an organization, they're trying very traditional campaigns and they'll target a whole bunch of them throughout different organizations. Okay. Let's go after all the C CEOs or the VPs or anybody with the power to sign a check or perform a wire transfer. We, we had that not too long ago. And fortunately, uh, the receptionist and office manager had enough sense to realize something's fishy here. And, and I think with these crazy phishing emails, the phone scams and everything else, um, they come to me right away. Another employee another time came to me and said, hey, I got this weird email about gift cards that you wanted to give to employees and you're asking me for something. This looks like a scam from what I read in your book. I said, yep, you got it. So 
again, sharing the stuff with employees and doing awareness training, it sounds silly. It sounds like a waste of time, waste of money. However, if you think about it from even an insurance point, um, we have safety videos that we have to watch each year because we have a forklift and a warehouse that our, our uh, building maintenance manager has to watch and be trained and certified on. It, most of it is kind of silly. Anybody should be able to pass it, but it's awareness. It's just reminding you of the obvious and reminds you to question things when something seems a little strange, be it with the gift card, be it with when somebody was asking to, to wire transfer money. I had a more elaborate one not too long ago. We have about 70 international resellers of our wireless security tools. And somebody went on our website and they scrubbed all the emails to all of those individuals and they wrote to them and they went on our website and they pulled off our website logo, my signature and a couple other key things and wrote as if they were me and spoofed my email address and asked to wire in advance some of the funds for the big projects that we're working on. And it was funny. It, it, there were two individuals that we actually were involved with large projects at that time. Now, the cyber criminal didn't know this, unlikely. They were just trying to spoof and took their best guesses. And both of those individuals reached out to me. Um, first, they forwarded me the email. And then they called me and, and the other texted me and said, I wanted to clarify something. I just forwarded you this email. I didn't want to do it through email in case your email was compromised or someone spoofing you. So what does that tell you? They were educated. It caught them off guard. And they said it looked very convincing. It looked like your normal email. So somebody either intercepted your email or copied it. When I analyzed it closely, it, it was a little fishy. But again, I could see that. But they may not be as you know, uh, aware of it because they're not emailing from, from my person every day. But, but I think that's the important thing to see. Educating, as we talked about your staff, your employees, that's important. Also, third parties, vendors that you work with, having a level of um, talk with them in case there's a scam is very important, but as well as your channel for sales. Like for us, these are independent distributors around the globe, speaking different languages, different time zones. So they're not part of our company on our payroll, but they're a valid part of our company because they're selling our products and they're, they're key and integral part, but educating them. So I try to share with them tips and things and explain when things go wrong or there's a problem so they can be on the lookout for it. And, and I've commended many of them because they keep coming back to me, whether it's tied to our company or not. And they're saying, Hey, I spotted another phishing scam or Hey, uh, you know, we stopped this, which looked like a ransomware attack. So it makes you feel good. They're listening, they're trying and they're sharing throughout their organizations. I think that's a big part of it. Uh, great shows like this, sharing the information, educating people, and realizing that none of us have a silver bullet or all the answers, but cumulatively learning all these different tips and things together will actually greatly help to make a difference. Yeah. And one, one thing I'm going to, I'm going to reel back for a second. Sure. Can you, you mentioned the email was spoofed. Do you have any insight into, was it your email address hijacked or it was an address that looked very much like it changing an E to a three or what, what was the scenario? There? Exactly. It was really, um, my email was not hijacked. It was just spoofed in that it said Scott at bvsystems.com when they opened it and looked at it. But if you dive in and actually look at the raw headers and information, you could see it's from, I don't know, somebody in Jakarta or somewhere else like that. And, and then you, you, but the average person I realized does not do that. I, I've probably had a dozen friends so far send over a panic and they, they say, oh no, 
I get this crazy email. I said, all right, calm down. Your email's not compromised necessarily. Let's analyze it. Can you go in, go here, look at all the raw headers, send that information to me. Let me analyze it a little bit and see if it, if it was compromised or not. And now, the other side of the coin is when they have a Yahoo, Hotmail, or Gmail, oftentimes they're compromised. I find it again and again and again because so many of those accounts are compromised and it, often because people are just not creating strong passwords. They're not using the multi-factor authentication. And uh, those companies are often targeted because they've got 3 billion you know, free Yahoo email addresses out there. It's the numbers game. That's what cyber criminals use. So sometimes um, security by obscurity is a phrase that I often use. When you do unique things and different things, you actually become more secure. And it sounds kind of opposite of what one would think. But if you think about it from a cybersecurity's perspective, they really don't care whose money they're stealing, whose identity they're taking, whose credit card is compromised. It's somewhat of an anonymous crime. So when they're going out there to, to, to literally target, they're blanketing by sending millions of spam emails, maybe with a phishing attack in it, with sort of some specific strain of malware or ransomware or whatever else they're, they're trying to launch there. They're not going necessarily after me, Scott Schober. Um, there are targeted attacks, which I did have that one time, which is certainly targeted toward me because they kept, they hit multiple accounts over time and continue to do it. That's a little bit different. It's more referred to as whaling often where they're, they're going for a bigger fish or a larger target and they're very focused. Um, sometimes when they're going for a larger target, say it's a politician, high net worth individual, celebrity, whatever the case may be, the surveillance they do, they'll go out there and they'll actually spend months gathering as much information as they can, websites, social media, you name it, to really build a good profile so they could use that in any way they want, maybe for social engineering to get in and garnish different pieces of critical information. So I think that's why the education side on understanding and being cautious before we give out any information within an organization, that's paramount. Um, and I've seen that time and time again, the receptionist will come in and say, someone's on the phone, they're asking for something. And they, they stop, but they question it first. You, you have to almost create an environment where you're a little bit paranoid to stay safe these days. And may, maybe that just happens because I was targeted and was hacked and it keeps happening that I'm, I'm very paranoid. Um, but it does help. It helps to keep you safe. It, it kind of messes your life up, but it is a, it's a healthy way of staying safe and safe exactly. in this world of cyber. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's levels of paranoia. And, oh yeah. Uh, sure. some, some is good. I'm, I'm wondering uh, maybe as we, Think about wrapping here. Uh, we move to your book, Cybersecurity is Everybody's Business. I, I want to focus on the business point there because uh, to the point of being paranoid, um, yes, that might create a pause in the response to that phone call or a pause in a transaction that is being validated as legitimate or not. Um, some of those, certainly if it gets to be like a huge transaction, you definitely want to make sure some of the smaller ones, uh, where do you go? Is it a bunch of small ones? So some, some risk assessment has to be made. Hmm. I'm wondering how, and I don't know if you touch on this in the book or not, but how do you rally a team to know what the risks are, know when to pause, know when it's okay to move forward? Uh, is there a chain of, of command or communication so people can work with each other? What, what does the book do to help reinforce that cybersecurity is everybody's business, but with a focus on 
keeping the business running. Yeah, and I, th I think you hit it on a, on a key point. You need to be able to implement changes, effectuate changes that doesn't stop you from your business at hand. And, and that's what we had to do in the background. So while we're making changes, while we're improving, we're still shipping product out the door. We're still designing products. We're still talking to customers and taking sales. We don't stop the business, learn how to keep it secure, and then go back to business. Nobody would survive doing it that way. One of the key areas, I think, is to understand, identify what are your risks. Often for small businesses, since they're not in our field, it's a little bit different. When I talk to them, they say, I don't know anything about cybersecurity. I don't know what you're talking about. So usually having a list that you can go down with and understanding what are the risks and identifying them, what are they trying to protect? Do they have cybersecurity insurance? Oftentimes that's a good way to, to kind of bridge it and work it in. Because if you have cybersecurity insurance, and I point this out to all business owners, because we, we ourselves have it also, it's, it's not just about having a list like uh, PCI compliance that you check off the boxes. Yeah, I'm compliant. Yeah, I shred documents. Yeah, I don't store credit cards. And then people store credit cards. They don't shred any documents. They just throw in a dumpster. Th that's not really complying. You have to make sure you go down and you properly check off each box and make sure you, that you're implementing. We had to force a backup plan within our company. We have a lot of engineers, a lot of very smart people, 10 times smarter than me, the PhD engineers have been doing this their whole life, but they're lazy. So to implement a backup plan, we had to actually have a person that I assigned as the backup person that goes around to back up the network, to individual computers, to different code and things like that throughout the process. I actually take them on very large USB sticks that are encrypted. You have to enter a code in, hit unlock, switch between Mac or PC. Now you've got these secure sticks, and then I take these sticks and I put them in a safe offsite. It sounds a little crude. It's a little painful. It's a little slow. Yes. But I tell you what, it's actually saved us a few times. We've had several you know, of our engineers come upstairs and go, oh, Scott, I think I clicked on something <laughs> I shouldn't have. I don't know what's going on. My computer's locked up. All right, here's what we're going to do. Boom. We resort to the backup. We wipe the computer back in business. His email was compromised, had to clean all that up, so on and so forth. So it, it takes a lot of steps and things. But if you have plans and procedures in your way, your checkoff list that you develop, within the organization, it's a lot easier to implement and have key people in the process. Like I, I mentioned, I have a backup person. That's his sole job when he puts on his backup hat that month to just go around and make sure he's got those proper backups. So I think it varies greatly from organization to organization, but you need to find things that work for you and you need to find disciplines outside your company that you could bring in also to kind of wake you up and see the mistakes that you're making, see the vulnerabilities that are there so you can patch them up and prove it and get better and better and better. A lot of companies I talk to, they don't even have a, a policies and procedures handbook in place, which I was kind of surprised. You think, you know, you hear about that all the time that everybody has to. A lot of people don't. And I ask them, why not? I, I don't have the time. It's too hard to update. I can't comply to everything. So it's easier to do nothing. And that's not good. That's not a good answer there. So I think it, some of these things, they, they're actually disciplines to, to run a successful business. You have to do these things, but they do take some time and they take some money and they take discipline, unfortunately. And I like the, the double use uh, of discipline there. Um, I, I think it is, it is action, right? So it's, yeah. 
it, uh, it requires, I guess the other point I'll make as we, as we close here is that, um, the, the humans are at the center of all this where this technology is not going to save us, right? There's no yes. single security tool or collection of them that's going to solve this problem. Uh, it's the, it's the backup person. It's the, mm -hmm. it's the receptionist, uh, questioning something strange. It's the business partners recognizing that they're, uh, they're, they're, trying to be scammed on the back of, of your good name. <laughs> yeah, it, it's so and, true. Yeah. It really is. I, I think a lot of things too, and I talk about this in the book, I think one of the chapters is cash in the mattress. If you go back generations and you find that people often would keep some cash, actually it's not in the mattress. They technically, the number one place to store cash in a house, if you're going to rob it is in the freezer. But um, it's interesting that if you look at technology, too many people are, are gravitating toward technology to solve their problems. But it's often what the technology that it's exploited to get into your house, to break in, to, to break into your computer. It's because you can't patch everything 100%. Everything is not 100% secure. So using technology in the right places is what's really important. Not using it everywhere to think it's going to make your life easier because it'll actually complicate your life. And then you'll quickly find out, oh, no, why did I have that? You know, I, I love the concept of a, a Bluetooth uh, door lock. And again, I'm not knocking anybody that makes it or uses it. But at the same time, we do a lot of development on, on Bluetooth and the standard. And you learn very quickly that there's documented vulnerabilities, how to hack into it, even though you hear that it has encryption, it's fast frequency hopping, and it's so immune to hacks and this and that. Well, yeah, it is, but it's been hacked. So you have to you have to weigh that in in what you're trying to protect and use cautions. There's nothing wrong with a good old fashioned key and and, and a lock. That's okay. Um, technology doesn't always solve every problem, and we have to just have a balanced approach with it. I think uh, to to make sure that our lives are safe and we're protecting our loved ones and our businesses and everything else. Yeah, and the the physical key is still technology. I think what makes it yeah that's true makes, makes things different these days is a digital lock uh, scales and and opens access to many yeah. more than just one person who had presumably the uh, the master key that's that, for sure uh, that yours was cut from but um scott this is this is fantastic i hope uh those listening grabbed a few nuggets here uh your books i think you cover a lot of hacks ashley madison uh, marriott a few others um to your earlier point in the conversation those stories, um, while we're probably tired of hearing them in the news, understanding them in terms of the processes and, and the weaknesses that were exploited and how, how the attacks uh, took place are, can be super insightful mm -hmm. to, to choose to uh, choose to embrace it. And uh, then, of course, you have to take action, right? So yes. It's not just, not just enough to understand, but to, to take some time and put some resources into uh, to shoring things up. And I'm sad to hear that you had to experience that with the organization. I'm thrilled and honored that you shared that story uh, here and then also in your book, of course, which, by the way, folks, we'll, we'll link to Scott's uh, website where all three of his books are available and where you can connect with Scott uh, on social media and wherever else he wants to uh, chat with you. So thanks again, Scott. Any, any final parting thoughts? No, I, I appreciate the time. Thank you for all you're doing. Great show. And, uh, it's like to tell everybody out there, don't don't live in fear of technology and be overwhelmed with cyber, but uh, just to try to implement some of these simple things and, and you can still have a happy life and still live in this technological world and uh, stay safe out there. 
you say exactly. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for more redefining cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDAS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.